0: What's up, buds?
1: And as the puck drops, the words that D.C. fans have been waiting to hear since 1974, the Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions. It's not a dream not a desert barrage, it's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington! Welcome back to j Ring Rink Radio, I am your host Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to be joined for the first time in a long while, Rob Parker. How are you doing Rob? Great
0: Adam, good to be back, um, glad we're talking under better circumstances.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, we're talking under you know the great, great blanket of uh, or rose-colored glasses of the Capitals' Stanley Cup victory, and um, we're to, we're recording this, I guess, on a Monday. So we're coming right off of the weekend where the Capitals had the draft and were able to re-sign John Carlson. So we have some nice, interesting things to talk about.
0: Yeah, all good news. I know you've been trying to to rain on the draft parade, but. Um... I'm I'm surprised, and bringing back Carlson sets him up pretty nicely compared to, you know, most of the teams that are trying to defend the Cup. You know, it looks like all their major pieces are signed up for not just one, but probably two years once we see whatever happens with Wilson, so things are looking up.
1: Yeah, uh, let's start with Carlson just because I think we're going to have uh, the more interesting conversation might revolve around the debate. Um, I'm pretty happy with the Carlson deal. Uh, I didn't want the Capitals to go over $8 million a year, and they didn't have to. Um, so, you know, I, I think he would have gotten more than that in the open market. And while I think that that's a lot of money, especially for a guy who's probably not your best all-around defenseman, um, I think it's nice to have a guy locked up that's... Uh, able to produce points, and that that's really more and more important in today's NHL, uh, even for a guy on the back end.
0: Yeah, for sure. They were going to pay, he was going to get his money. Um, at some point, there's a number that you're not comfortable with, but I always felt like anything under $8 million was going to be a huge win for them. Um, if you take it in like a kind of one to one comparison and look at what Burns got or what Oliver Ekman Larson is looking at reportedly. I don't necessarily think that he's even with Burns or just that close to OEL, but he's still pretty good and he produces at even strength. So you can't just say it's all about that power play. I'm sure a lot of righty defensemen could just crank one timers and pass it to OV, but he does it at even strength and you need to do that. Um, whether he's your best all around or not, he, he gets those points at even strength and, um, you know, hopefully the cap keeps going up, but the the effort to try to replace him at this point is is worth money. So let's say you try to take a principled stand and you say, "Hey, we're not paying you eight million because we think you're, you know, not quite Brent Burns, and we think you're like a seven and a quarter player." I mean, you're you're talking less than a million dollars, but this team just showed that the the window is alive and well, and now you actually, for the first time in forever, have to think about you know, Ovi and Backstrom on deals that are going to expire. And so keep Carlson. You know what he can bring you. He's not necessarily perfect. Everyone, next time you go watch the highlight of the save, look at the passing lane that he is guarding. It's hilarious. But anyway, I mean, he's a known quantity, and he's still really good, and he does something that's in short demand, uh, namely score from the blue line. So, you know, I don't see a better way to move forward with the team, and you just kind of have to accept it and hope that, you know, if the deal looks bad down the line, there's someone who's willing to, you know, take a draft pick or two and take it off your hands.
1: I believe uh, it was pointed out to me on Twitter that the, the contract structure is in a way that at near the end of it, although he does have that limited no trade clause, um, you know, the amount of dollars being paid to him are down. So it should be easier for the Capitals to move him uh, if it becomes necessary down the line just from a pure uh, you know, opening up the market to some of the lower-budget teams around the league. So uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting, and I'm super happy that the Capitals got the deal done. Um, it was interesting that Carlson did get into that window where he could kind of hear the offers from the other teams, but uh, it didn't seem to really drive up the AAV too too much. So, um, uh, But I think you made a great point kind of about the relative like replacement effect, right? Um, there was nobody else on the market even that comes close to John Carlson. Um, I I don't really have too many other thoughts and feelings on that. I I think it's going to be it's nice that the Caps have three great defensemen uh, signed up and hopefully they can retain company as well. Yeah, uh, I'm
0: I'm with you. I mean, I'm positive already someone has already had the thought once you said, you know, there's no great replacements you know, Eric Carlson but now (laughs) you're talking about a a package going out and then you're going to sign him and um, look, he's great but John Carlson at $8 million, whether or not you think he's your best all around, and I'm fine with them continuing to feed Matt Niskan in the really tough minutes and letting him do a lot of that heavy lifting. The thing that's really nice is both of them are locked up for a little bit. Orlov's locked up for a little bit. So no, no matter who they play on that power play, they're getting free points, and, and the Caps don't have to worry about paying for those for a little bit at least.
1: Now, I do want to ask you, this is, obviously, it it does not matter at all, and it's not the kind of thing that we, a coach or anyone else would have to do practically, but do you prefer the Kuznetsov contract that was signed last summer, or Carlson's contract from this summer?
0: Um, man... I'm trying to remember how I felt. I was certainly not as happy about Kuznetsov's last summer as I am right
1: now. That, that, that might be because of some other events that took place. Well, <laughs> cer-
0: certainly but certainly the the cup and the way he played in the playoffs um, changed it. But even you look at, like, Tavares is great, but all the numbers look like he's going to make, like, 10, 11-plus. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you're looking at Kuznetsov, who just went off and he's a legit 1C for under $8 million. And that, that looks pretty good across the market. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't quite have the <clears throat> the same open negotiation leverage that Carlson had, but, you know, at the time I thought he, he pushed a little bit of a hard bargain and that he maybe wasn't necessarily, um, experienced enough with the resume to demand that, but now his contract looks great. Carlson's I knew was going to be high, so I don't know. I, to some degree, I kind of was bracing myself for anything between eight and eight and a half to be okay. But um, you know, he he just happened to be in the right spot in the right market, and you know, so I think he probably got a little bit of the more fortunate contract.
1: Yeah, I think I think um, the Kuznetsov contract looks so much better today than it did when it was signed. You know, at the time, I remember feeling like Kuznetsov, like all the power to him. But he really did hold that KHL threat over the Capitals' uh, head, and it, it's just been it's been perfect. Uh, it's been great for both him and the team, and um, you know he, he's still he's still pretty young. Uh, he was 25 when he signed the deal, so uh, great stuff. Especially considering, I kind of forgot about this one Kuznetsov signed his deal. Um, Leon Dreisaitl signed his shortly thereafter for uh, 700,000 more per year than Kuznetsov. And Drysaitel had more RFA years on that contract, if I recall correctly. So, uh, yeah. Well,
0: I guess Drysaitel was coming off of his good playoffs, yeah. and Kuznetsov saved his for the new contract. So worked again, out pretty well. Good timing.
1: All right, let's move on to talk about the thing uh, that that I'm sure we're going to have some nice heated discussion about. Um, <laughs> the Capitals had, in my mind, a um, a semi, like a mediocre draft. Uh, their best move of of the two days was, without a doubt, the, the Philip Grubauer trade, um, which a- a allowed them to re-sign uh, John Carlson, the thing that we kind of started talking about off the bat. And um, you know, all in all, uh, you know, I look at what Corey Proman said, uh, the writer for the Athletic, uh, you know, a guy who does a lot of a lot of prospect scouting. The Capitals played it pretty safe, which, in my mind, has kind of been a trend for their last you know, three drafts or so. Um, I don't know, Rob, what what was your kind of overall thoughts about the draft?
0: Well, uh, the word safe came up a a lot from, from people, um, that obviously watch more and know more about it. So yeah, it it sounds like that's the way they went. I would say last year's draft was a bit of a a black hole. They didn't really have picks. picks, so, so safe or not is harder to say. Um, 2016, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit safe. I I think I do see your point in general talent is the hardest thing to pay for. And Mm -hmm. when you look at the contract setup with this team, especially when they got, you know, Orpik off and they knew they were going to have Carlson locked up for a while. They are in a position where they could have seriously swung for the fences and like, who cares? Because most of their top six is going to be locked up or RFA for the foreseeable future. Uh, I may be assuming a little bit more, you know, that Ovechkin and Baxter mark to just like bounce as soon as they, they come up. But I, I, you know, I feel like they're going to find a way to make, make that happen. So you've got this, this lineup that's already pretty good regardless. And you can just swing for the, the highest leverage players, so to speak. But at the same time, most of these guys are never going to see the NHL, especially after the first round. So for me, get a player in the first round, that's when you really need to get your higher-leverage players. But you guys talk about upside and all that. After the first round, the upside is just making the NHL. That's how I feel about it. So the use of the term safe in context of long shots is just something that I kind of don't really understand. What's what's a safe pick that is like 10% likely to make the NHL? None of them are safe, so it's sort of just – Which guy do you think has the best chance of even producing or helping you out? Um, And if you think that it's a bunch of good skaters with good bloodlines or work ethic or whatever, then that's sort of in their M.O., but they just won the Cup. And not to just appeal to authority and say, you know, (laughs) in the glow of the Cup, you get to do whatever you want. They they won the Cup based on their use of draft picks.
1: Well... what, which of those draft picks were safe? The guys that helped them win when the cut. Which are those guys? The only guy that I can think of that at all would fall into that category would be Tom Wilson. Well,
0: I mean, Tom Wilson was was heavily debated even at the time, but not all of them were safe. I mean, Ovechkin and Backstrom were were slam dunks in the in the higher end. Yeah. Carlson wasn't necessarily a safe pick. But he was right there, and they picked him after Anton Gustafson, which is maybe their worst pick since, like, Joe Finley. So it's not like they were, like, right on top of their game there. Um, They just had a lot of picks, and they got some really good players in the first round. And then Chandler Stevenson's not safe, but he's not, like, a risk. He's a third-round pick that you never expect anything to come from. Christian Juice, same thing. Seventh-round pick, that's not like we're really taking a flyer on the guy. They're all flyers at that point, and he just happened to turn into the guy that was a good player. Uh, Gersuch got time in the playoffs and he is just starting to crack the lineup. So for me, any of the guys that become NHL players out of that range in the draft, that's a win. And they continually, you know, have guys that are in the NHL from those positions, so I don't know how much more you're going to ask for. You're not no. going to find the P.K. Suvans every year.
1: No, you're not, and, and I think that that's, it's a good point that's saying that it, it's a win if those guys make the NHL, and it definitely is. It's just a question of, you know, it, when, you, when you have these picks, like a, a, a guy like Juice, uh, a more conservative draft strategy probably wouldn't have gone after a guy like him, right? He's severely undersized, um, and he was picked in a time that was a, long enough ago now where you know, small defensemen were not were not getting picked. You know, this is back when those guys were, uh, you know, a, a non-factor. And the Capitals saw a guy and they liked his his potential offensive skill set. They saw the way he could move the puck well. They liked his footwork. I mean, these are the kind of things that, um, you know, I, I'd like to see a team kind of spend more time drafting. And, and I know that even after the first round, the probability of, of a guy making the NHL is, is a lot less. Um, and, and some of that probably is because guys in the first round have a lot higher you know, teams are a lot more invested in giving them games, right? To give them a shot. But um, you know, the Caps got Orlov in the second round, right? I mean, these are these are guys that well, uh, I like. To, I like to kind of think of a you know, the first round is is obviously uh, significantly greater chance than anything else. Second round and, and and third round though, I I still like to think of those rounds as you know, they're not throwaway picks. They, these are picks that still kind of matter. Um, and we've seen teams hit some nice gems there. I mean, even you know, maybe it wasn't not this draft or maybe not the year before that, but one before that, Alex to He, he slid far and he's been great. He was great for Chicago last year. That was another, you know, that, that was, no one was willing to draft him because of his size. And, uh, which is crazy because it wasn't that long ago and that he was great in Chicago. And that's the kind of stuff that, that I, when I talk about a team kind of going for that high upside player, I'm talking about taking a risk on a guy that might be outside the mold, but has shown an ability to produce points or something like that. Um, you know, you can easily fill in with plugs right you can find third and fourth liners uh, the capitals have shown you know I, I guess I'm kind of using the de- defer to authority argument here but they de- they've done that incredibly well the last few years right I mean they got DSP they got Connolly they've got all of these guys just um, you know on, on tryouts. I mean, these are big deal – these are guys that, that that paid dividends down the stretch and allowed them to also use their guys that, that really were more skilled. You know, your Burakovsky, Vrana, uh, Juice, and, and all all sorts of players like that. So um, I, I kind of see what you're saying, but I, I think as a team, you you got to swing for the fences on every draft pick because uh, you can find the other guys, and you can find them for cheap.
0: Well, yeah, of course you can and if they were really swinging for the fences on juice he wouldn't have been the seventh round pick right if they had known what he was they wouldn't have picked the four guys before him well, that well that's kind of picks.
1: opportunity cost though too right i mean we don't know what they were saying in the room like we don't know how much they liked him but no no
0: right I know I know so so you, you're saying that he's an example of like a swing for the fences he's a small guy who has talent type of mold i mean they weren't that high on him and he just happened to turn out and he was the one who had the winning lotto ticket. So you're right, higher picks get more chances, but I also think it's indicative that the talent evaluation market is pretty efficient. It's pretty easy for these scouts to figure out who the really good players are, and after that, it's a crapshoot. So yeah, you get your DeBrinkets, but you, know, you had also like what Rocco Grimaldi, however many years ago, who was the small, talented guy who slipped into the second round, and I don't think he's making anyone you know, second guess it. There's there's tons of guys that don't make it out of that round. So I I can buy into the approach from, you know, the, the analytics uh influence guys like Dubis and however you pronounce the guy in Phoenix and just stockpile picks and just take as many lotter chances as you want. But until any team can realistically say that we're good at spotting this upside and that our talent evaluation is any better than anyone else's in the second round and later, then it, it doesn't really matter. So for me, there's, there's two pretty infor- unforgivable sins to make. Don't be wasteful with picks just to move up. Uh, unless you're like moving up tiers into like a different qualitative player. Yeah. And, and, and don't be picking dinosaurs. I don't no more Joe Finley's and don't like, I really didn't like the Vanisep trade the other year, Yep, not because it was a goalie, even though anyone who pays attention knows that I don't have a ton of value 18 year old goalies, but they gave up another pick just to move up a little bit. And regardless of whether they took a goalie or someone else, like I just don't think even after giving them praise through building through the draft, I don't think that their track record says we're just spotting our guy in the second round so that it makes sense for us to burn picks to move up. No, the capitals,
1: right? most of their successes have been right in, in the first round. Right. Um, I, I think, those were kind of, I, I, unfortunately, my, my Washington Post kind of how the team was built articles on my my cubicle wall. But it, well, it has, you know, all, all the it's all these first round picks, and that's how the Capitals did it. They they hit on first round picks at a rate significantly above the NHL average, um, you know. And part of that was they had a lot of first round picks between like 2004 and what was it like 2012 probably kind of in that range, and then they started kind of trading them away more, right? They traded away, I think 2010 was the Troy Brower trade-away year.
0: Right, Uh, but they used that first for Troy Brower. Yeah, that that worked out well. No, no, that was great value. I mean, that that first-round pick still has given to the team.
1: It has. It has has a lot. Um, The one that maybe didn't was the Shattenkirk one last year. But that's, you know, insert Stanley Cup emoji here. But... Um, right.
0: No, I mean, you're right. It didn't pay off, but I mean, I appreciate that they went for the chance. It was a good you know, move. A chance and, it, and it just didn't quite pay out the way it did. But um, I, I guess if you're going to devalue the guys that just started cracking in the roster because they were depth players, so Walker, Gersich, Chandler Stevenson played a bigger role, and then Juice played a regular spot on the third pair for most of the run. Yeah. Even though those are marginal positions that normally. You can fill for cheap, which is true. Why? Then, if that's true that you don't really value those positions, then it doesn't really matter that they got those guys in the draft, because realistically, if you're not really producing, you can you can find them for cheap.
1: No, it matters so, that they got them in the draft. Sorry, I, I just want to make it clear. It matters that they got them. Like, if they don't have those guys, they don't win because they the Capitals, the way they, they did things is that they needed those guys to come up, right? I mean, they didn't have any other depth. That's how they were set up. Uh, I'm well, just they saying... Might
0: have, I mean, they might have hired different other cheap labor. Yeah, it's, if, and and, and, and they, they, and they might have guys. had...
1: If they if they had maybe gambled on somebody else, they might have had a guy with maybe more offensive upside in that position. Like, the Capitals have done a pretty good job. I mean, that whole thing, it was weird. You mentioned the Vanacek, Vanacek trade-up. They also traded up to, to draft Nathan Walker in that same draft.
0: That one upset. So that one upset me because you already kind of knew who he was, and they fell in love with him at Hershey. Yep. And there, there's just no really point. He's an overager. I didn't really like the trade to move up to get a guy because he's a great character guy in like the sixth round this year. Like, give me a break. He's a sixth round. If you liked him that much, you would have picked him a lot earlier. Don't be wasting late picks just to move up for a guy who's a great character. I'm with you on that. But if we're gonna just look at these depth players as replaceable, dime a dozen, and really what you're looking for in these drafts or home runs, why wouldn't you just Ricky Williams every single draft and trade all your picks to a high a team with a high pick and just get one stud every single year out of the top half of the first
1: round? That's a really interesting thought. You know, if, if you could get into the top five every year and not have any other picks, would you do it? I just
0: asked you, String. No, I'm thinking about it. Like, I, no, no, I'm
1: trying, I'm trying to think about it. Like if I could get in the top five every year, you'd have no prospect pool. No,
0: but every like three years you'd be selling off an RFA contract that you can't afford to add to your team. Yeah,
1: but you and can't you can't, aff- it you can't it. afford it because you've got so many other great right, players right. on your team. I mean, right, I think right, I right. I think I'd do it. If I could have a top five every year, like with right. a roster like like with the Capitals years, having but... the roster they have right now,
0: right? All like right now.
1: Yeah, one player every five years. Like, one player every year. And then, like, the top five or top three. Like, I think I'd do it. Like, would would you?
0: Uh, I think I actually value depth players more than that. And I don't I don't think the trade market for RF, RFA guys is as efficient. So I think you're going to lose value if you have a bunch of those guys. Um so for me, I actually probably would just sit tight with my first-round pick every single year and try to hit one guy not in the first round. That would be my standard for success is hit your first-round pick and get one guy out of the later rounds every year, and you can build a sustainable team doing that even if those guys aren't necessarily home runs. Yeah. I mean, that's what the Capitals would kind of try to do. Because you're, right? you're going to be paying for everything else dearly on the market if that's your approach you're going to be paying and some of that's easier but some of that's not like uh, I mean I guess the Caps just paid eight million to Carlson and it didn't even matter but bringing in Niskanen and Orpik they paid more to build out that that defensive core than they would have if like let's say they had defensemen in the system earlier that were ready for it If, if Juice and Bowie and whether Johansson, Johans, sorry, turns into a, an actual defenseman. Maybe uh, maybe that saves him a little bit of money on the Niskanen deal.
1: Maybe, but like I, I think, I don't know. I, I
0: look at it like, guys like Niskanen and guys like Strawman are guys that teams really miss when they lose them and that you can build your defensive core around them. And if you were going to describe their game, and I know you showed that Niskanen's you know, upside at the time of drafting was a little bit higher. But those guys are low upside, not sexy guys that are just smart and they skate well. So as long as we're talking about guys who are smart and they skate well in their draft profile, I'm not really going to freak out because those guys are the kind of guys like Chandler Stevenson that just turn into an NHL player, whether or not Stevenson ever shows he can play above the third line. Yeah. Right now, as a guy who can play fourth line center or third line wing, that's not a bad Swiss Army knife part to add. For cheap, if you accept that anything you draft is cheaper than anything you buy on the market.
1: No, and, and you definitely get stuff cheaper, uh, you know, when when it's homegrown. But if you're home growing a top three pick or top five pick every year, I mean, like I, I was trying to kind of quickly pull up a list of the guys that were drafted in the top three picks over the last like ten years. I mean, that's an all-star team. Granted, you wouldn't be able to afford all of them, but if you were continually getting picks that high. I mean, you could just kind of rotate those guys in and out. I know you said you don't think the efficiency is particularly high in the RFA market, but um, I don't know. We just saw the Capitals get a lot of efficiency out of, the, out of Philip Grubauer as an RFA. So, it's true. It only takes one and just figure out where Chiarelli's working, and Then all of a sudden, boom, you got it, right? Okay. I mean, a- next thing you know, I mean... Just make sure he doesn't have any tattoos or go to museums or anything like that. <laughs> you know, uh, I think that 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 was a that was a crazy trade, and I like Noah Hannifin. I think he's a pretty good player, but uh, Dougie Hamilton is like a top, easily a top ten defenseman in the league. I think, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, Noah
0: Hannafin is your classic no upside pick. No, no he's no. not a no
1: upside no. Noah Hannifin was talked about he was in the top three of that draft. he wasn't he didn't get a pick in the know, top three because but they, he
0: was tall and he skates really well, but he was never gonna put up like huge offensive numbers, I don't think.
1: If if you skate really well, like uh, when I think of a no upside player, I'm thinking of like a guy now this might make some caps fan mad. I kinda think of like Jonas Siegenthaler. Like he's a guy that... I find like he
0: skates really well though. He
1: doesn't skate that well. Like we've watched this guy skate. Like he's he's not awful. He's I mean the Capitals traded Philip Forsberg because they thought he couldn't skate. But like the bottom line is like
0: Seganthaler skates better than Forsberg. Okay, I, Forsberg thing is a different can of worms. It's a totally different but can of worms. Way, so I shouldn't just, have brought he up. Basically just defended Hannifin with my whole point about all these draft picks which is <laughs> if you can skate and you can think about the game, then you're going to make something happen. But he happen. also can Jennifer move the puck.
1: A, if you can, can move, move the numbers? puck, you don't, you don't have to be able to, to score the goal. It, it, like Upside is not like 100 points. Okay, for, for okay like...
0: but, now, but now you're talking about guys that just have to move the puck, which sounds like this Alexiev cat. I mean, I haven't watched a whole lot of him. Um, Alexia was
1: the cat was not a bad pick. I mean, even, I mean, Prama so he's not one. Of, so so he wasn't one of the safe ones that you're you're upset about. No, you're, I mean, I don't think that was like the the most dangerous pick. Like, I think it was okay. Like, and, and and granted, as you and I have talked about before multiple times relative to the draft, neither of us are the most well versed, like, draft prospect guys. We base our opinions upon like the the opinions of guys who have spent their you know all year. Watching this stuff and writing about it, right? I mean, that's where I come from. I think that's where you come from as well. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and and like you know, Alexiev, the Capitals definitely picked him earlier than almost anybody had him ranked. But you know that that it, the stuff I read about him is, is generally positive. He he kind of sounds like the guy that you're describing when you talk about Niskanen. Um, it, it's really a guy like uh, I'm not going to pronounce it all right. Forgive me, but the guy the Capitals picked 46th overall of Fervari. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just like he—he, he, like I read his stuff, and he—he kind of reminds me—I uh, don't know—a a little bit about like Siegenthaler. And, and granted, uh, Corey Praman does say he can skate; he skates all right. Um, but he—he just—he's just—he's not—he's not a sexy pick. He's not a guy that you're going to go and—you know—the Capitals got Nate Schmidt out of college, right, as a free agent, and you'd like to see like a second-round pick have someone who's got. At least that kind of potential to move and yeah, create space. Yeah, but why space. was Nate
0: Schmidt a second? Like, why was Nate Schmidt an unrestricted free agent out of college? He already went through his drafts and didn't get picked. He was a twenty-two or twenty-three year people old. Miss not or, people miss
1: stuff. People missed stuff. Well,
0: right, and people develop late.
1: The, yeah,
0: Nate y- Schmidt. Nate Schmidt was definitely at eighteen, not the guy he was when he graduated from college, which is fine, and, and that's part of the reason that you have a multi-pronged approach to building a team. Yeah. Which I think, the you know, the biggest thing. Brian McClellan is fixed is the non-drafting stuff. I mean, that's where they hurt. Mahoney is still in charge of their drafting. They've always been good at drafting. So that's also partly why I'm not, you know, sounding any alarms around the change in approach under no. McClellan. It looks like he's just keeping the same crew together. Um, but again, these these are guys, Siegenthaler and however you say this new kid's name, <laughs> they're, they're teenagers playing in a man's league, like literally playing against men. And if you can skate well enough and you can handle your own and especially this kid. And I don't, again, I'm not all for the, you know, red meat big crease clearing defenseman type of way of thinking about defense, but if he's able to skate and one of the things that they say about him is he's going to get in your face and he's going to pressure you and he's going to get physical as a kid playing against adults that potentially projects to a guy who can just play that skating role, get in your face, take away your time and space, Which is a way that you need to succeed against modern NHL players. Ozark, he's not going to make it. But again, if one of like him or Siegenthaler or whoever else, like over three or four years, if one of them make it out of that second round, then your your projections and your talent pool become sustainable, and you've got a team that you can continue to stock with either you know when injuries hit or when you lose people to free agency.
1: I think you got to hit a bit more often than that, right? I mean, well,
0: that's just the one round, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, not, if you hit I'm on not, one, like one second round guy, you assume you get your first round guy. I mean, I, I we I I I'm, think it's, I'm
0: assuming the first round every year. You have to hit your first round, and if you so, pick up
1: one other guy
0: in the draft, yeah, then, then you're probably I think okay. You're okay.
1: But the ca- yeah. I think, as the Capitals, because of how good the Capitals have done in the first round, like teams miss on their first round picks. I think a lot more. Like like someone puts the numbers together, and I go look at. I'm like, wow. Other teams miss on their first round picks like relatively frequently. I mean, yeah, the, the um, I, I mean, I, I'm not sold on uh, Ryan Johansson's brother Lucas um, making it. I, I think uh, kind of in Michael Sanford's camp here. Half again on Twitter, um, you, you look at his stuff. You you expect a guy who was drafted because of his two way potential and upside. Um, you'd expect them to do better in Hershey than he's done. And and as you said, these guys can still develop like they're, they're not written off yet. Like we don't need to bury them. They're not particularly old, but you you know, you want to see a bit of year to year development. And um, unfortunately some of the guys, the caps have picked have done worse in their draft plus one year or draft plus two year. than they did in their draft plus one or draft plus one versus draft or vice. You you know what I'm talking about? We, you like to see year to year growth, especially if they're in the same league year to year. But he, but Johansson wasn't right. right? Uh, he, he, just he his draft year he was in Kelowna. Draft plus one he was in Kelowna, and last year he was in Hershey. So right, so he it, switched he switched years. And as
0: a two way defenseman, your production is at the mercy of your forwards. Which yeah, I think yeah. Hershey, had really no, good Hershey here, right? I mean, no,
1: they they didn't because the Capitals haven't been drafting forwards, which we should definitely talk about a little bit, but. Uh, his draft plus one year was significantly, and it was in Kelowna. Still, he, you expect the guy, like in his overage year, to be significantly better than he was in his draft year, or at least not, like notably well, better. He wouldn't have been.
0: He wouldn't have been overage. He would have just been draft plus one. He would have been a nineteen year old.
1: Okay, but yeah, right? he would have been. I meant sorry. sorry older one. I meant overage if he was to be drafted again, because that was a term we used earlier. But yeah, I I, I see what you're. I'm just, I gotcha. You. Uh, no, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So. It, we'll, we'll see how, how it all turns out. Um, obviously, the Capitals have focused a lot on drafting goaltenders over the years, and they've done a great job of, of turning these guys into in great picks, whether that be um, Varlamov, who they were able to trade for um, Colorado's first-round pick that eventually became Philip Forsberg, or um, you know they, they did trade Neubert for a round pick. I don't remember which one, to be honest with you. And then, uh, you know, the Philip Grubauer return, which was pretty great, both clearing up the cap space and an additional second round pick. But, Rob, what, what do you kind of think about how the Capitals have been, uh, kind of taking a back seat when it comes to drafting forwards, specifically early in the draft? Um, you know, the last time the Capitals picked a forward in the first round was in 2014 when they picked Jacob Rana, 13th overall.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess at some point it becomes a problem, especially if they can't keep Burakovsky and Verona, but they haven't been picking early in the draft, as you said, and those kind of skilled forwards typically go pretty early. So, I I mean, I like that when they are early, they'll take a skilled forward. And I was really, you know, the the Verona pick took some heat when it happened because everyone wanted the center because we still didn't have that, you know, down the middle lockdown. And they took a small wing from Eastern Europe, who is this guy? He's not a center and he's not going to go head to head with, you know, Crosby or Malkin or whoever, but turns out he's actually pretty good. And he's again, just coming into his own, just cracking into the team and becoming a a player. And I guess this gets back to my earlier point about how do you value your depth forwards that come through the draft? You know, Stevenson can play. Uh, looks like he's going to play. Um, Boyd looks like he can play. They already moved Sanford for you know part of another trade. So they're getting other guys that are coming through. They're just not game breaking talent because they're not picking in a spot where they can get game breaking talent. So again, if you don't if you want a Vrana, Burkovsky, even a Johansson every single year, then you need to get into that first fifteen or definitely twenty picks of forwards because you're not those guys just don't last. Everyone can see you have that kind of talent, and you
1: get picked earlier. So, so so you don't you don't get in there. You think the draft is is relatively efficient at at forward skill?
0: I think the draft is relatively efficient. Definitely more at forward, but across the board, right? I mean,
1: maybe not goalies generally. I'd say, yeah,
0: maybe not. Yeah, you're right. But but I mean, for skaters, isn't the success rate of being, you know, a quality -er NHLer Pretty tightly correlated to your draft position,
1: and yeah. That, no, is, it, 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 it that, that, that that definitely is an argument for them being relatively efficient, and and I think it is. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I think drafting forwards should be one of the easiest things in the world, and uh, the like scouts overthink themselves. I mean, if a guy's got 150 points playing in a good league in a year, he's probably a pretty good player, right? I mean, it's uh, that's the kind of stuff that. Uh, you know some of those articles people wrote like last year or two years ago, where they they went and basically redid three drafts, just picking the the, the player with the most points in every slot, and you pretty much end up with with a very efficient draft. I mean, you end up with um, the best players getting picked early on rather than sliding. Um, so I I think that forward drafting shouldn't be that complicated, but sometimes it is. I mean, there are sometimes guys available later in drafts that that were really uh, high-end talents. I mean, DeBrincat again, is a guy that's easy to, to single out, but he had other things going against him, as you said, like his size. So um, I think the, the draft is pretty interesting because I think the NHL still does have some efficiencies. It, it's, not, it's not a perfect science.
0: No, it's definitely not. And what's weird is that you have different teams trying to exploit different inefficiencies. So you don't even need everyone to be on the same scent to start to equalize it. So a few teams are going to be, you know, on the, you know, small skilled forwards. I I'd like to think that Jonathan Marsh. just put everyone on notice that they should just stop being dumb about that sort of stuff. But, you know, maybe not. I know like the Penguins and a few other teams love to take overage the former way we used it over age. So 19 mm-hmm. or older in the draft and they take guys that are a little bit more developed. There's a couple teams I know that like to focus on guys like in the USHL that look like they're in kind of quote unquote late bloomer leagues. Um, And that's all to say that no matter what angle you try to take, there's other teams out there. No one's, no one's figured out this one book and you know, you you just got to figure out a way to kind of go with it and take your approach as long as, The Caps keep seeing the kind of success. It's hard for me to sit here and say that they don't know what they're talking about because whether you're talking about their first-round picks or when you start to take a step back and look at over time how they picked in the later rounds, yeah, most of those picks look dumb, but if they get you know, a Stevenson and a Gursich and a Holpe and a Juice, and now this Axel Janssen, I can't say his probably last name, or but, whatever. Yeah, no, you're but right yeah, on. now everyone wants to talk about him, and he's a forward. But again, if he's a forward, he's probably a checking forward in the NHL. He's probably not a scoring forward. So, you know, is that win worth worth the the celebration? Right, because if you can just get a DSP for six fifty, who's a more complete at this point NHL player? Yeah, like it's nice to have Chandler Stevenson, but if you can replace him for so easily. You know what's the point of the emotion?
1: Well, Ch- Chandler Stevenson's a hit, like for me, like on a skill level too. Like he he didn't look out of place in the second line. Is he as good as Vrana was there? No, and I I don't I, I generally think that people are are tricking themselves into like deferring to the coach there. <clears throat> Excuse me, when they say that Stevenson was better there because of defensive impact or something. Stevenson is a better defensive player than than Jacob Vrana, but. What, what Vrana brings to the table on aggregates better, right? And um, we saw the Capitals really play their best when they, they, they found the three lines they wanted to roll offensively with the fourth line getting limited minutes and the fourth line being very successful in them, uh, especially in the Stanley Cup final against Vegas. But, um, Rob, just to roll it back real fast, I, I think the Capitals do need to start emphasizing drafting some forwards. I, I, I know they do have the top nine relatively well locked up. Um, but... You know, it, as you said earlier, if they're not able to keep with Verana and Burakovsky, there's going to be a, a, a slot there. And there's, while Stevenson's pretty good, I, I don't really, I, I don't think he's on the same talent tier as either of those two guys. And, and I don't, no, think, obviously. And, 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 obviously, and I don't think they have anybody else coming up that that's really close to those two guys. Um, in terms of no, I mean,
0: I think it's clear.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there, those are two great. Prospects. I mean, they're not really prospects anymore. But with all Burkovsky's mental flaws, he's still a, a pretty good player.
0: No, yeah, and and he's game-breaking talent if he can put it together and if he can stay healthy. You no, know, that's there's no debate about that. There, you have guys, maybe Boyd turns into like a swing guy between the second and third line that can chip in a little bit. But I don't think he's you know driving a top six bus. They they just don't have that kind of talent behind them. Um, so in, in this, in a sort of abstract sense, I agree with you, they need to replenish their, their forward pool, but it gets back to the whole, you know, the frustration around the Brana pick was that he wasn't a center and it doesn't do any good to say, well, we want to, we want to draft a solution for today's problem, but we're picking a guy that's not going to help us for three or four years minimum. Yeah. Right. Uh, Like uh, take, take, it's got to be the best player, even if you go on a run where the best player looks like defenseman. Um, you got to do it. They had a run where it was like all Swedish players, no. and I know right now it's all WHL defensemen. That's all the
1: the, the caps. Yeah, that that is. Yeah, the, but there they may be over them. over uh, picking from that market.
0: Maybe, maybe, but there's there's also a pretty strong track record coming from out west, and the the guys they picked until you can start showing that they're you know, really missing on them, um, maybe they see it. I don't I know. Think,
1: I don't know. I, I think the caps – Well, I, I think one of the great inefficiencies left in the draft is on Europeans. Uh, you mean you still have NHL teams that won't pick Russians, um, which I think is hilarious. But, I mean well, – it's, look-
0: it's a little bit different. It's – there's a contractual play there.
1: No, no, there yes. is, there is, That's and you have legitimate. to wait longer for the players to come over, but with the Capitals in the position that they're in, they can afford to wait for those guys to come over, and still have the talent, right? You get Kuznetsov, you get, uh, I mean, Kuznetsov slid in his draft year, he's a guy that should have gone earlier, even Berkovsky's not Russian, but he slid in his, he was one of those uh, draft year droppers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, they're
0: all probably slid.
1: Yeah, I mean, basically, if you were, the, the, those players are there. And they can be had, and, and they can be real difference makers. Uh, without those three players, specifically the two Russians, Kuznetsov and and Orlov, I mean, we're not talking about a Capital Stanley Cup championship for sure. Yeah, of course, those two, because um, they worked out. <laughs> oh yeah, because they worked but, out. Because but they I worked mean,
0: out. They're, they're, there's all sorts of like high end picks and and talent swings that don't work out right no like they, Chris, they don't but if you hit on Chris one work and francois bouchard and dimitri kugachev were all you know high-end home run picks that had whatever inefficiencies so you, you miss on uh, a couple
1: picks you well, hit on one and it makes the three misses worth it right so yeah uh, i mean if it's a guy like orlov for sure yeah I mean, hitting on hitting on
0: orlov in the second round, like. And that's why, that's why when I was talking about the second round, I was saying like once every four or five years. If you get a Dimitri Orlov out of the second round once every four or five years, like that's gold. I, I know that like Shea Weber and Patrice Bergeron and P.K. Subban, those guys came out of second rounds. But it's absurd to think that everyone is going to be able to, to identify that guy just by swinging for the fences. Um, so my, my goals, I guess, are just maybe a little bit more modest. Yeah, in I mean, terms that, of what I'm expecting
1: to get out of these. No, no, for sure. And I'm trying to pull up to I, I was curious because I really have no recollection of kind of where Orlov was in his draft class. And unfortunately, I'm not seeing it here. Not in terms of not where he was picked, but in terms of kind of where he I was agree. expected to go. Yeah, he went 55th overall. Um, but he, he, that was, God, I feel that was the Tavares draft. So, there there. I mean, you know, Dmitry Kulikov was drafted before him, and obviously, you know, I take Orlov over him uh, every day. There were actually a, a good amount of defensemen taken before him that he's certainly better than. So, uh, I, I don't know, Rob. I don't have a whole lot more. I mean, I know we, <laughs> we were planning on talking about the draft, and we talked a lot more about draft philosophy than we did who the Capitals picked. Um, do you have any, like, actual thoughts about the guys that they picked? Or... Or no. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about any
0: of the guys. You know, um, I, I like when I look at how some of them are described. They, uh, other than trading up to get a character guy, and, and I think that bloodlines are in general overstated. But mm-hmm. it sounds like there's a lot of guys that know how to think and can skate, and so at the very least, that gives them a chance. Yep. I think there's more upside to Alexiev. Just, again, I look for other sorts of indicators. Teenagers playing in men's leagues. You've got a Russian kid playing all the way around the world. And, you know, he had his family circumstances. Um, and he's already got, he hasn't even filled out his body. And he can already move. I mean, you you don't have to watch. Like, watching highlights and seeing the guy make a couple dangles is dangerous. Because I'm sure, you know, you read Pronman's description of him. And it's like, he's not high in talent, He's not flashy. And then you watch a couple flashy highlights and you're like, Oh, maybe he is. But you know, when you watch those highlights, what you can definitely see is that he can skate well, that he moves pretty well. And if you have good passing and, um, obviously he's already playing the North American game and he's dealing with the adversity that he's dealt with, that makes me feel like he could be one of those guys who's a Matt Niskanen or an Anton Strawman or any number of those more quiet defensemen that don't crank out points. But you know solidify your top four that's you know what makes me optimistic about him and then kind of to to beat that dead horse if literally any one of the other guys that came after him pan out, then I would consider to win and I, I i love I love picking goalies in the fourth round that would be my strategy Goalie <laughs> in the fourth round it works
1: it works out pretty well for the capitals right yeah um. Yeah, we'll definitely see how it comes. I'm really curious to see how Ilya Samsonov does in the uh, American Hockey League this year, because it, it's really uh, besides Verana, we haven't seen a high Capitals draft pick make an impact uh, in a few years now, right? I mean, you you had Burakovsky, who was picked the year before Verana, uh, Verana, and then. I mean, I, I guess, I guess Bowie maybe, but I don't really know. Well, if he, he's
0: second, right? He was he's a second, second,
1: but I mean, I, I still consider the second round like I know it's not like high, high, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, if you're picked the first two rounds, I feel like there there are some expectations placed upon you. Um, yeah, after that, I'm pretty sure it's kind of whatever. So, if you, if you
0: make the NHL, it's a it's a parade,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean. Okay. I, I wish you could have made it down for the parade because it, it was definitely a good time. Uh, Rob, <laughs> l- let's talk a little bit about the the other free agents the Capitals still have. Um, we learned today that Devontae Smith-Pelly is not being extended a qualifying offer. Um, well, what were kind of your initial thoughts on that?
0: Uh, tough for him, but I'm glad that they seem to have kind of moved on from some of the nostalgia around fourth line players that has been part of their approach in the past. Uh, you know, he, he had a great run and awesome for him, but I don't think, you know, anyone expects him to be that kind of player. I, I thought that they would just try to do it just to keep some veteran presence on that fourth line, but I would love to see them go with a young line. And now that the way, you know, the Orpic trade and the Carlson contract have shaken out, it looks like there should be at least a decent chance that they can keep Jay Beagle in the mix, at which point, you know, put Beagle with a couple kids and and leave Smith-Pelly out of there, but they can still talk to him. But, I mean, he's not indispensable by any means.
1: I mean, but what what makes Jay Beagle any more? Uh, I don't know. I, I just, that's who I was going to ask you about next, because you know, I, well, I, I'm very happy for Jay Beagle.
0: You, but. you need someone on the fourth line that isn't a first- or second-year pro. You, well, Chandler you, Stevenson's you just,
1: been around now, right? Or
0: was, this is rookie year. I right? mean, first- or second-year. Second-year, I guess, yeah. Right? I, I mean, I, like, Chandler Stevenson's not your fourth-line anchor. He's not your – you know, he's a good guy to put on the penalty kill, but Jay Beagle was, like, your anchor for the penalty kill. And, you know, a huge faceoff guy. You just need someone like that on that fourth line. They need to be – that's been sort of my approach to those guys all along is they need to be able to bring something other than – just a competent fourth line and Beagle brings a lot of those other kind of defensive qualities. And look, go back and watch the order that the cup got passed down that line. And that tells you a lot about how the guys feel about that team. And Jay Beagle was way higher in that procession than he would have been on any depth chart. So if, if there's an opportunity to keep a guy that they feel that highly about that can solidify a fourth line. Cause that allows you to put like Beagle and Stevenson and Boyd or Gersich or Walker, and you don't have to worry about necessarily just getting, you know, four checked to death by, you know, Matt Martin or Cal Clutterbuck, or even that Vegas fourth line was tough to handle. And if you put three young kids out there, I'm not sure how it goes.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I'm not saying you need to keep him, but yeah, I, I just—he's more know,
0: valuable than DSP, and I thought he was no. gone when I looked at the the way the season folded
1: at the end. No, no for sure, and, and you know, my my one one thing just is about the passing of the cup stuff. Uh, obviously, I mean the guys love Beagle, but he—he he, it's also important to remember that he'd also been—he was the third longest tenured cap, right? So, um, I, I think that probably played a role as well. Just kind of he had been there. You know, O V then Backstrom than then he in terms of uh, how long sure. they've been there. Not that that was the sure, pass order, but, but, but they, they love yeah, it. I, one I'm one not I'm not order. not detracting that at all. I'm simply saying that uh, I think that probably plays a role in kind of um, how much the victory meant for him. And and I know Beagle has kind of made it clear he wants to stay with the team and that he knew he wouldn't be top priority. But uh, you know if they keep if his AAV is really low, it'd be great to have him back. Uh, I, I know they're. He's not a Capitals free agent, but do you think Brooks Orpik going to be wearing a Capitals sweater when those season starts? I mean, it feels like it. <laughs> it does, kind of, doesn't it?
0: <laughs> and again, if they want to give him like a million and a half to come play on the third line, hopefully they sit him enough that the kids still get ice. Uh, that I'm fine with it. Honestly, I've been spent his literally his entire contract shitting on the idea that his leadership was worth anything. And then the dude gets third in the cup procession and Jacob Brown is wearing his Jersey out in the club. I mean, <laughs> if you don't think these guys love him and if you don't think he was important after watching how that whole you know celebration unfolded, then I, I you probably have not been on a team sport not to play that card. But I mean, you've never been in a, a situation where leadership has been recognized publicly because that was them telling everyone how important he is. And if you can keep him for cheap, his on-ice contribution is obviously very, very limited, and they also obviously are able to overcome it in the right, you know, arrangement. So, basically, if you you take like four million Brooks pick dollars and shuffle them over to John Carlson and keep both of them happy, uh, again, I wouldn't be opposed to that. And it's it's baffling to me that you would have ever heard me say that, like <laughs> Jay Beagle. And Brooks Orpic could ever be re-signed under any circumstances. Well,
1: I think the Capitals have an opening behind their bench for a defensive coach, and I think that might be a great place for Brooks Orpic sure. to slot in. Uh, sure, or and strength that,
0: and conditioning.
1: Uh, I, well, Mark Nemish does a pretty good job there, but I think it's more of a, uh, I know, I know. I think, I think it's more of a thing in basketball where where players like directly go. Uh, you know, they kind of retire and immediately are back in, like literally ne- the next year, but. Um. You know Brooks Orpik might still want to play, but I would, I would love for the team to get the off-ice benefits of Brooks Orpik, without having him on the ice. I mean, you the Capitals have been drafting these left-handed defensemen as we were talking about earlier, year after year after year. You gotta get one of those guys a chance in the lineup, <laughs> um, whether that's Siegenthaler or, or Johansson or, or somebody. I mean, give give them a shot at NHL game time this year. Um,
0: yeah, and I would much I'd much rather um, have young guys. Even, even acknowledging how tough it would be to have, you know, Juice anchoring the third pair as the veteran. Um, I'd rather have a guy like Chorney or, you know, Jerebic or whatever, keep one of them as sort of the veteran seventh. But um, it sounds like McClellan's already thought about it, just based on the way he answered the questions, or at least how I read it. Yeah. Uh, so I would I would absolutely not be surprised to see them try to bring – as much of the band back
1: as they could. I'm really interested to see if the league tries to go after them. Uh, for, for Why? Some, you That's know, not illegal. McClellan said it's totally legal, but it was like if they'd had conversations with Orpic about it ahead of time. I think well, if they, they
0: left a the paper trail, then they're dummies. Yeah, they but but they, they they but they might
1: get. I'm just saying they might get dinged. I, I think they'll you know I I don't remember what it was. It was a few years ago. Some team did something that was not out. It, it was within the rules. But the league basically was like, no, that's against the spirit of the rule. The Kovalchuk contract. It, I think it was the Kovalchuk. Yeah, the Kovalchuk contract was completely within the rules, but they didn't they like severely penalize New Jersey for it, even they though took a first round pick. Yeah, that's garbage. I mean, I, I thought that was that completely like, unfair. I that's mean, a new, that's a New Jersey problem. Well, it is. Yeah, but it's going might become cap- Capitals problem.
0: The Caps gave up value on the Grubauer return
1: yeah. so they could
0: get someone else to take for Orpic. That team chose to buy them out, buy him out instead
1: of keeping yeah, him. Yeah, they didn't have to. I I, right. I thought I thought about running the numbers have, to see how much UFA no how, like how much salary that would have to be retained by um Colorado to make, in in the trade of Orpic to make it so that they would save money. Over buying him out, and I—I I, I never ran it, so I don't even know if it was possible. But I was trying to figure that one out. But
0: all—all all in whatever. all, yeah, whatever. whatever.
1: He's, he's a free agent. What do you want to see with Kempney?
0: Uh, I would love to keep him, but yeah, me too. I don't. It, it's tough, man. You were just on—you were just on a team that needed defensemen for the cheap, and you were a healthy scratch. Granted, part of that's on them, but for him to come out and play hardball for sort of riding shotgun with John Carlson for a cup victory also doesn't seem right. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to give him a ton of term and I wouldn't want to give him a ton of money without seeing a little bit more than that. So I I think he thinks that he just kind of proved himself, which fine. I mean, not taking anything away from that. He played great. His camp's position is probably, I just got a chance and I just showed you what I can do and we just want a cup on it. Uh, which is pretty solid not position. wrong <laughs> yeah but right but the caps are going to say look man we just like salvaged you from a team that didn't you know think you were anything and by the way they've got you know their own pedigree over there um, you got to play with John Carlson which is a pretty cushy spot and you did fine so we'll give you some money in a few years but you got to prove it
1: I and mean, yeah. hopefully
0: they keep it i'm thinking they can hopefully keep it between 2.5 and 3.5 yeah that's players. what
1: i was thinking too um, I you know his camp might be like, hey, you know, uh, we saw a guy last year or last year on Washington that didn't get a chance that went to Vegas and, and proved himself to be a top pairing defenseman. So maybe maybe that will teach you guys something about uh, how how you kind of analyze an asset that isn't getting a ton of ice time. So yeah, uh, or they just say our defense is so deep we let let guys go be number ones. <laughs> And and, that, and that's why we were that deep. That's why we played both Carl Osner and Brooks Orpic at the same time in the playoffs.
0: <laughs> and traded traded for the bad
1: Weber. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, Rob, I, I think, I mean, what other free agents are we missing here? I mean, Chase on Tom you, Wilson. Uh, we will talk about Tom Wilson, but I want to talk <laughs> about the unrestricted guys first. Oh, yeah. Chason's gone. Yeah, right. Chason's gone. I hope he gets paid somewhere. Really, I hope everyone sure. that was on this team gets paid. Um Right. Right. Not here. I, I, if they stay, I hope they get paid next to nothing. If they go somewhere else, I hope you get all the money in the world because you guys are all worth it.
0: Um, yeah, and that's also uh, you know, one of the things I think the team overlooked is trying to load up everyone else's books. So I get it. You don't want to trade Grubauer in the division but frankly, if Grubauer was the kind of goalie that you were that afraid of playing, you wouldn't have traded him in the first place. Well, and you got to compare him to Holby. Well, no, any goalie. I, I mean, not Holby, not not any goalie. He, Phil Grubauer is a perfectly fine goalie who deserves a number one chance. Yeah. But he is not a goalie that you're like, fuck, I don't want to play him six times a year, and then maybe in the playoffs. No, that's not that's not the fear he inspires. I,
1: I think that's what and how the Capitals how feel about amazing
0: him. Amazing would it be? To saddle Carolina on an internal cap, cheap ass team with Brooks Orprick's dead weight. Like, make <laughs> them buy him out. And but, then if you bring him back, then you're like, fuck you guys, you're paying for his salary. We're paying him 1.5 and you're paying the rest or whatever. Like, that would be great to make your own uh, in division team pay your, you know,
1: oh yeah. I mean, assistant
0: coach slash <laughs> veteran presence, whatever. whatever ca- you call caps
1: are dumb. I, I mean, I, I really think this, it, the not trading in your division stuff is dumb. I, I really, like, I like Grubauer a lot. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Not categorically. Okay, fine. In this instance, I think it's pretty dumb. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's a huge deal. That I feel Grubauer is a, a very good goalie. Carolina is having trouble with goaltending. Do you think Carolina is a good goaltender away from significantly impacting Washington's chances of winning? Probably not. And if they are, I mean, I love Carolina. Carolina's an analytics darling team, but you're gonna have a new coach who was their assistant coach last year. So, and and they basically no one was interested in coming to that team because of the meddling of the new owner, and yeah, you know, they they were having a lot of issues going on. And, and they're still if, if they trade, um, oh my, Jeff Skinner, then I, I think all of the positivity they had about the uh, Dougie Hamilton trade essentially wa- washed out. So well, who uh, knows what their turn is. Anyway. Yeah. Who who knows what they it's going to be. But, but, uh, my, my point is just, I would rather have that few extra, like move up a couple picks in the draft. Um, I know there were a few guys there that were still on the board <coughs> that, uh, some people that know more than I do about prospects, uh, thought would have been really good for the caps to pick. And it might've not mattered. I mean, they might've drafted, uh, the Slovakian guy regardless, <laughs> but, Um, I I think, but
0: there was there was some home run swings there.
1: Yeah, and 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 and, and they missed them because they didn't, uh, because they were worried about the in division stuff. But I mean, I I don't. I'm not that torn up about it because I think the margins are pretty
0: slim between forty two and forty six or whatever.
1: Numerically, Uh, they're definitely pretty slim. But the question is, in this draft, were they pretty slim? Well, right. And if Carolina's going to
0: go out and get a goalie, and there's other goalies out there that are. At least close to Groove Hour. I mean, what what margins are you saving yourself, right? There's you're sacrificing whatever the margin is between 42 and 46, which is like nothing, and then you're, you know, gaining whatever the margin is between Groove Hour and whoever Carolina ends up getting anyway. And like, you know, maybe that maybe that's a win. Maybe it's not. It kind of depends on who they get and what they give up to get them. But I don't know. I wouldn't have been all that concerned. Like. You just let Barry Trotz, your cup winning coach, go knowingly in division to yeah. a team that's actually made the playoffs in your lifetime. <laughs> and and now all of a sudden you're gonna like quake in your boots over your backup goalie going to a team that an a analytics darling and yeah. underperformed all of their analytics, like basically for as long as behind the net
1: has existed. You know what I don't really understand is that the Capitals controlled like they could have just told Trotz like no, we're not going to let you interview with the Islanders. Like, they owned his contract. They could have been dicks. I'm not saying they should have been. Barry trusted did great things for his team. I would have been happy to have him back as the coach. But you could have been like, hey, Barry, we know you don't want to stay for this amount, but can you get a job not in our division? You know, they they could have done something like that. And uh, they chose not to, which I think is kind of interesting. So,
0: Well... I mean, there weren't that many teams that were looking. And no, they, they weren't. They, didn't, supposedly want to, they there, didn't want there, to
1: block them. Supposedly, there were teams out west that were thinking about mm-hmm. firing their head coaches to get Barry Trotz. So yeah. maybe, maybe try to swing it. But Barry Trotz versus
0: Matthew Barzal is going to be a pretty fun one to watch, especially if it is the Bears.
1: What are you saying? It's going to be great when he benches Barzal for uh, <laughs> having a, a soul-crushing boner in his second game. Right. The, yeah. Right. Yeah. I hope he, he
0: didn't right he he lost inside leverage hundred and sixty five feet from the net and didn't get the back check he,
1: so, he's he's benched for game two of the first round playoff series. they're not making the playoffs uh, uh, it was a jacob Rona reference all right um let's talk about top Gun tommy um i I think it's a mistake to go over four million dollars a year with with him that is that is kind of how i feel yeah
0: i it's just too much of a projection on his improvement to, to go long enough for him to deserve four plus he's still restricted. He still hasn't shown that he's going to drive offense and, and really just kind of came into his own as a passenger on a a pretty loaded line. So yeah, he's got value and he's, you know, a very, or, Sorry, JP, he's a very unique player. Um, there's not a lot of guys that can do anything like what he does, and so they should try to find a way to make that fit, but let's not get crazy and start handing out for slight contracts for a guy that, you know, it isn't the highest offensive talent that you have. And we've talked a lot about they need to keep Frana and maybe Burakovsky and Ovechkin and Baxter are coming up. They need to make sure they have their scores locked up so that he can effectively be a wingman because you know he he's a wingman at heart, not you know the actual top gun.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I, I I'd like to see the capital. They don't really need to play the hardball with him That they I thought they had to originally um, because they now have Carlson under contract, but um i still think a one-year deal with tom wilson might not be the worst thing in the world it's certainly not going to happen uh, I, th- I believe a report came out today that the capitals are looking to lock him up long term so uh i'm just hoping for a low aav let's not have a milan lucic part two um for sure yeah uh, yeah uh, and, and
0: i thought he was on i thought he was like lined up for a bridge deal no matter what yeah. before the orca trade uh, now i can get it but like if you're going to start increasing his salary on the out years, that's got to be based on offensive production projection.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and let's be realistic about what he's shown and, you know, how his offense is created and where he slots into this greater structure.
1: Um, are we missing anybody here? I feel kind of bad if we are, but I, uh, I don't. We got all the important ones, that's for sure. Yeah, we did. All right, Rob. Um, let's wrap this thing up. I, I really do appreciate you coming on today, man. I know you got a lot going on.
0: Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, out of the hole for a little bit and, um, uh, going to try to gloat as much as I possibly can this summer. And, uh, it, it was a great, let's revel in it and, you know, stay safe out there.
1: All right, Rob, where should everyone follow you on Twitter?
0: Uh, same place as always. Usually, uh, giving you shit in your mentions.
1: All right, find Rob on there. So to find Rob, you got to go through me at Stringham A on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast at Japers Rink Radio. Um, as always, we can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. We really do appreciate you guys sticking with us through this uh, the, the, this summer of championships, um, or championship singular, but hey, maybe maybe multiple um, as time goes on. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, we plan on sticking with you throughout the summer. Uh, We're not sure what our next episode will be, but we're definitely getting close to some rink wraps, so uh, look for those in the near future.